Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, all Welcome to episode number 25, Sell Sports and Stuff. Good to talk with you again. Uh, in case you didn't know, I'm actually hosting on WGR all week, filling in for Howard Simon on the morning show with Jeremy White. So you get a double or triple or whatever dose of me, <laughs> not only here on the Sell Sports and Stuff podcast, but also on the radio every morning, 6 to 10, Monday through Friday this week. And um, with no sports going on, no live sports, we still have plenty to talk about, though. The NFL schedule is going to be released later this week. I'm assuming, guessing right now, on Thursday. Not too sure about that. If you haven't checked out the Sales Sports and Stuff podcast, I believe it was episode 19 I did with Mike North, one of the head schedule makers for the NFL. Fascinating stuff, what goes into this uh, schedule making for the NFL. So go check that out. Uh, we'll see. I expect the Bills to get plenty of national love, primetime games included. And I'm glad the NFL has decided to release the schedule in its full form, 17 weeks, assuming a regular schedule with all the start times. And then if something does change, they can release it. But I think this is the best way to do it, not to have two or three versions out there at once and everybody's kind of picking through what are we going to use. Just do this one version. Hey, this is what it's going to be. And if things change, things change. They go back and they make those changes. So we're looking forward to seeing that and talking about that on WGR. We do a mystery guest on the morning show on WGR, Howard and Jeremy do, and we did that again on Monday morning. Daryl Talley joined us. So go check that out. It is this year is the 30th anniversary of the Bills going to their very first Super Bowl, 25, of course, against the New York Giants. It was the 1990 season. This is the 2020 season. So we had Daryl Talley on to talk about those teams, that era, that team, and then uh, just life in general with Daryl, which was always, um, he's always fun to talk to. Spider-Man, of course, in Bill's lore because he wore the Spider-Man spandex on his arm. And then we have another mystery guest coming up on Wednesday. Can't reveal who that is at this very moment. Also found out, of course, that uh, Don Shula died on Monday. Right after we got off the air is when it happened. And interestingly enough, it happened as I was recording my podcast that you're about to hear with this next guest. And it's the first time I've done a podcast where during the middle of it, some sort of news happened where I had to say, hey, this just happened. What do you think about it? So we do that with Dan Wetzel. I do that. And Dan, Dan Wetzel is my guest. He is a columnist, sports reporter, writer. Uh, he's involved with documentaries, filmmaking, everything you can imagine on the sports landscape. Dan Wetzel has been and is involved with it. And the reason why I reached out to him is I was watching a really cool documentary called The Scheme recently about the FBI investigation into college basketball. And Dan Wetzel kept popping up where they kept interviewing about this, interviewing him about this. And he had a lot of really good insight into what was going on. So, you know, I went and I looked at his Twitter feed and I noticed some other projects he had done that I didn't realize, some books he had written. 
And then I realized he also was the executive producer, the executive director of the Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix that I watched just a few months ago. And I thought that was fascinating. So I said, I should reach out to Dan, kind of talk to him about a lot of these things. He has a lot of opinions on college football and college basketball and the landscape of it right now with the you know legalities of paying players, not paying players, the uh, likenesses and the things and the rules they've been changing. He's talked a lot about the BCS and the format and what you know should be done about determining a national champion. So we get into all of that on the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. It's Dan Wetzel, who is my guest, Yahoo Sports columnist, author, screenwriter. Hope you enjoy it on the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. Dan, thanks for doing this today. I really appreciate it. I've, uh, I've admired your work for a while. And uh, what triggered me wanting to get you on was I was actually watching the documentary The Scheme <laughs> and you showed up again. And I'm like, man, this guy's everywhere. He's had his hand in a lot of things. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of really good work you've done out there, obviously, but just stuff that I think that you could really lend some perspective on. So thanks a lot. Well, I appreciate it. Always good to be on with you and uh, always good to be on in Western New York. Yeah, thanks. Um, what do you know about Western New York? You've been up here a lot? Uh, I've been some, I guess. I don't know what a lot. I've been to half dozen Bills games. I've been to to cover the old Metro Atlantic uh, tournament. Well, I don't know if it's old, still going. That's right. Not this year, but um, they used to host it in Buffalo a lot. I don't know how where they're if they're still there a lot, and got a lot of St. Bonaventure and Tanisha's friends and stuff like that. So. No doubt, and I know I know you're uh, I know you're big into college basketball and everything that um, surrounds it. So I I want to start there and what happened recently with the new rules in college sports for allowing athletes to profit off their likeness and things like that. Um, you know, obviously it's a pretty big change in where we had been. Is it a change enough? Because we see where this thing is going. Have they done enough to get to a point where? You know, I guess either a you think this is this is a good change and where we need to land, or is there a lot more work to be done? Well, it, there's still details to be ironed out, and it still needs to officially pass some kind of um, uh, I don't know national convention vote. So there's a lot of layers to NCAA bureaucracy, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. So we're not there yet, and there's still more to find out exactly how they're handling the details, which is of course where. Uh, the devil will be. Uh, I, um, you know, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a positive, but mostly I just think it's inevitable. And one of the issues that college sports has had is it just has lacked a cohesive leadership uh, and a willingness to to change uh, slowly with the times over the last few decades. And because of that. Uh, you know, the rules really, the basics of the rules were written in like 1930, and certainly they haven't really changed a whole lot since the 60s or 70s. And it's just a totally different world we're in now. And so I kind of look back to, uh, it was 11 years ago that Ed O'Bannon, the UCLA grade, filed a lawsuit against the NCAA about them using his, um, you know, his name, image, and likeness in an EA Sports video game. And saying, you know, you shouldn't have permission to do that and then the ability to profit off me for uh, perpetuity, which is what the NCA said. And their initial response was, while there is a team on the game that's called the 1995 UCLA Bruins and there is a guy with a shaved head uh, who looks exactly like you and wears number 31 and shoots the ball lefty like you, 
uh, and it's the starting small forward or whatever position he played, that's not you. And then it was, well, even if it is you, we just have that right. And, you know, I think when you come up with a rule or some, some concept that, well, we own your rights forever, you know, at some point you go, well, wait a minute. I mean, I'm now in my 30s. There was another, uh, I don't know whether there was a lawsuit, might have been. If not, it was just a flare-up of a controversy of Oscar Robertson uh, complaining that like 40-something years after he left the University of Cincinnati, they're still selling supposed game-worn jerseys of him and, and things like that. And, you know, it, it's like at what point is too much? It's sort of the, the pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. And the NCA just would fight. The, you know, there just was no wiggle room, which I thought were were fairly common sense and some some you know some positions that were unpopular with the public. And I, I just think over the years, as that eroded that public confidence in the rule book, um, eventually the politicians followed. And what we have was the state of California, the state of Florida, a, a number of other states passing laws in the last couple of years saying you can't do this anymore. And the NSA just hadn't, hadn't gone along and met with the times. And I think anybody who owns a business or anyone can imagine owning a business, the last thing you want is the government running your business or telling you mm-hmm. how you have to run your business. Even well-intentioned politicians you don't want. And so this is what they did though. They forced that hand and now here they are trying to, figure it all out in like one giant swoop instead of a slow kind of off ramp into this. And and I'm not sure if they had just sat there and said, you know what, we're going to form some kind of former players union and there's some kind of consortium where if you're, you know, you're, you're 35 years old and your name's in the video game. You get a couple bucks um, that we get to this. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it was inevitable and it's not, it's going to be messy and difficult and worse than it would be harder than it would be, but I think it's all the NCAA's fault. Yeah, no doubt. And I would say there's two big criticisms, obviously. There's a lot more than that, but there's two that come up a lot. What would be the the, the, the defense of these? Number one is when people first say, well, these guys get a free education anyway. That's the number one overall arching blanket defense that people want to use or criticism when these things happen. The other is, well, how are you going to keep the boosters out of it and say, well, I'm going to, if you come here, I'm going to give you $5,000 every time you sign an autograph. You know what I mean? Like how, how do you legislate that? Yeah, this is, this is the problem. Well, they do get a, a tuition room and board and that is, you know, compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, on, in a, in a legal sense, they'd actually have a better argument at, at, at division three or something where you say, well, we don't pay them anything. What I'm saying is we do pay them. We just, this is what the cap of our pay is. Uh, and look, I, everybody who knows anything about college knows it's a valuable thing, not just the, the, the monetary of the dollars, but the opportunity. And, you know, often that opportunity comes, you know, you get a bonus, you get, you can get into a better school if you're a good athlete, it's just the way it works. So, um, all very, very real. But what we also know is that isn't what they're worth on an open market and, you know, uh, they just had a, um, you know, the, the federal college basketball kind of uh, corruption trials. And in one of those cases, there was a kid from Saginaw, Michigan, Brian Bowen. And his dad sat for on the stand for two days and talked about all the offers that were given to him. And the one that he agreed to was, was I mean, he was paid $20,000 to play high school, uh, to play AAU basketball for a summer. 
by by Adidas. And when he was choosing his school, Adidas was willing and started to pay his dad $100,000 to go play at the University of Louisville because Adidas sponsors Louisville. So that's his market. You you should get paid whatever the market allows, right? Um, So just because there's something called minimum wage out there doesn't mean that everybody should have to be that shouldn't also be maximum wage that's not how it works in this country so while tuition room and board is not inconsequential or inconsider inconsiderable which i i totally agree is gonna be a ton of money you also can't look and say well this kid you never heard of brian bowen and he's worth a hundred grand demonstrably what's zion williamson worth (laughs) what's uh you know what's to a tug of aloha worth what's you know, it, it, you know, you you just go to these things. So you have these rules. Well, this is how it did in the '60s. Well, that's great, but your football stadium wasn't 110,000 seats then. There wasn't such a thing called the SEC network. There wasn't, you know, the ability to buy jerseys all over America. There wasn't all, all the different things that are going on. So, uh, you know, this what this really is though. This isn't the schools. Um, I really should back it up because I'm not even making the argument the correct correct way or, or the counterpoint. No one's saying the schools have to pay more money for the players. The schools will continue to pay the same month. What they were doing was also saying you can't get paid by anybody else to do this. So the, the, the basic premise, if this all goes according to, um, you know, if everyone follows the rules, which, of course, they won't. But let's <laughs> say, I mean, you can only write rules that, to expect people to follow. Well, if you're t- if you're tongue t- to a tongue of a low end, you, you you can go get paid five hundred dollars on a Sunday to go sit at the Ford dealer in Tuscaloosa right. and you drag a crowd in to sign autographs. Um, that's fine. So that that money is not coming from Alabama. You're just you, you can't stop saying you can't that's make right. an extra buck somewhere else. So we're not allowed to say, hey, you're not. A, we're the only people who can pay you. And this is the only amount we can pay. All right, so that brings me to the tie-in with Adidas, like you said, the scheme. Um, you played a prominent role. You were interviewed a lot in this documentary. I, I learned a lot. I was blown away. I, had, I never really knew who Christian Dawkins was. Um, coming out of that, uh, do do you feel sympathy for Christian Dawkins? Do you feel he did something wrong? Um, is it really the FBI who really jumped the gun on this and we should be angry at? Um, I think Christian... Um, I don't think Christian needs to go to prison for a year. Um, that I don't think that means Christian is a hundred percent. I don't know the most innocent figure in the mm-hmm. world. Sure, Christian was Christian was uh, Christian was trying. I appreciate Christian. I, I, I I'm I'm good for an honest hustle, right? And he was a hustler in, in all the best ways. He's a guy who's like I have these skills. If you watch the scheme. He's an incredible communicator. Yep. I mean, he tells stories well. He's charismatic. He's likable. Um, I mean, he's funny. And you can see why people liked him. Uh, and he, he has an ability to move between social groups and make a lot of different types of people very, very comfortable. And that is a, a huge skill in the world. That is a salesman. And he felt like I can become something close to the biggest sports agent in, in the NBA. And uh, I can do it my way. The path that 
the system tells you to take is go to college, go to law school. And if Christian had done those two things, I think by now in his late thirties, he'd be on his way to being with, with all the other inherent just skills he has, he'd be on his way to being one of the biggest agents in the NBA. He tried to jump the line a little bit. And I appreciate that. And just saying, I don't need to go to college. Mm-hmm. I can do this without. And he kind he kind of could, um, but that's what kind of caught up with him. So I don't know. Christian knew he was violating the system. Mm-hmm. He just didn't respect the system. Um, I don't think anybody thought this was a potential federal offense, and I'm still not convinced it really was. But it, it you know, he, he's going to prison, so I guess it was. Well, it reminded me in a way of. You know, Jerry Tarkanian's famous line of if the NCAA is mad at Duke, they put you on LV on probation. Um, You know, it seemed like they were mad at people, so they had to make an example. It seemed like Christian was the one that they made the example out of, even though they really were after these high-profile coaches. I think what they they started that case because they they made a deal with a guy, Marty Blazer, down in Pittsburgh, who's a financial advisor, who stole a few million bucks from his clients and was a real criminal. And he said, look, I'll give you this dirty world of college basketball and agents and all that. And it sounds pretty good when you, I mean, who doesn't think, oh, man, the agent business got to be shady, right? Everyone knows that. Right. So he's going to give you this whole scheme of stuff. And as they got into it, it wasn't nearly as, as damning as uh, they might have thought. And so they arrested the people they could arrest. And one of them was. You know, Christian Dawkins, who's, you know, uh, like I said, a, a young 20s hustler, if you will. And then, you know, four fairly unknown assistant coaches, a couple men, you know, I mean, just nobody. I, I think at the beginning they thought they were going to get uh, Bill Self and, and Mike Krzyzewski in cuffs or something. I don't know what they thought. <laughs> right. But that didn't pan out. <laughs> so um, here's what you got as a case. And it just the, the whole thing just. It's the system, nobody respects the NCA system, including all the people in the NCA, including so many of the, the head coaches and the assistant coaches and the players and the handlers that are all on that front line. And that's why, uh, you know, this I, it, it just was, a, it was, just was a, a crime without a victim. I mean, Christian Dawkins and these other guys are going away for giving people money. Not for stealing anyone's money, but for giving people money. And, you know, uh, you know, I guess there was a violation of some rules, but it um, doesn't really seem like it merits this. Dan Wetzel joining me here on the South Sports and Stuff podcast. He is an author, screenwriter, podcaster, columnist for Yahoo Sports as well. Let's shift to college football. What is, what's your solution for ultimately determining a national champion? Well, hopefully we have a season. Yeah. First, now I'm only kidding. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I've obviously I wrote some books on this. I was a, a major critic of the bowl championship series and the polls and all of that. Um, and I wanted to give the four team playoff a, uh, a chance to get going and see what we're at. Um, I, I don't want to be one of those people that just you know complains and then once you kind of get what you want, you move on to the next level of complaint doesn't really so i think the four the 14 has been a big improvement 
Um, but I think that the, the right number, and I, I used to think it was a bigger number, but now I think it's, it's, it's eight teams. I think if you give all five of the major conferences an automatic bid, uh, it would increase the, the excitement of the regular season because now winning the Pac-12 championship or, you know, a lot of years, even the Big Ten, I think it's been three times the Big Ten champ hasn't made the, made the playoff. Um, the regular season race matters a lot, and so the winner gets a, an automatic bid. Then uh, you have three at large, and you have an eight-team playoff. Uh, and I would play the first, both the first round and the semifinals on campus. Mm-hmm. I would give home field advantage pretty much the way the NFL does. Uh, and then play the championship game at a neutral site. And I think if you do that, um, it, it would it would improve. What, what's happened with the four team playoff is uh, the same teams pretty much make it every year, and that has then diminished the importance of, certain, of football in certain areas of the country, particularly out west, and had recruits flocking to the places where they think they can make the playoff. And if you can't, if you're a coach and you can't sell the narrative that you can make the playoff if you come here to the University of Oregon or University of Utah um, or something like that, it's going to be a struggle. Uh, then you know it's just a, it's a hard it it, it it causes kids to go to all the same places. So you look at the top of the recruiting rankings, and it's Clemson and it's Georgia and it's Alabama and it's and it's LSU and it's Ohio State basically, and um, you know, you know, five, six, seven schools are getting all the players, and increasingly that includes the kids from out west and even from the Midwest. So I just think I think eight would be really good. I think the on campus would be phenomenal. No one's ever been to a college football game and said, "I wish this was being played on a neutral site at the Alamo Dome or something <laughs> like that." You know, like you go to Penn State and you're like, "This is awesome." What's right. the best play, part of a Penn State game? The stadium, you know, a, a pack here, anyway, Ohio Stadium, yeah. Tuscaloosa. I mean, so play them on campus and uh, bring home field in and, and make that chase for Bia. Right now, if you're the one seed or the four seed, there's no advantage. You know, it's, right. it's just you're in. There's That's not right. really an advantage. Four, team, four seed has to wear their road uniforms. That's it. <laughs> um, the NFL playoffs are phenomenal. They work. It's like I don't I never understood why they were so opposed to having anything that looked like a the NFL playoffs. Do you like the expansion but, of the playoffs? NFL? Uh I thought we had it fine, but let's see. I mean, I don't think it's a huge, huge problem. Um, I think like Pittsburgh would have got in last year on mm-hmm. a three game losing streak. I'm not really excited about that. Then again, that first weekend you have triple headers each time. Right. And we would have had like an extra home game at Green Bay and an extra home game with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Like, so I don't think it's terrible. Um, I don't think it was necessary, but, you know, I certainly understand. Um, yeah, I understand they need the revenue. So I, I don't, I, more football is generally not a bad thing. So I'm, yeah. I, I just can't take a, I can't pound the table on that one. Well, let's look ahead to 2020 because. None of us knows what's going to happen. We hear different reports every day. I know, um, you know, athletic directors are talking with coaches, commissioners are talking with GMs, all that kind of stuff. We're trying to get all the science involved. They're doing everything they can. 
at the end of the day, now look, I'm an NFL sideline reporter. I want to be on the sidelines. I want to do my job. I'd love to be in packed stadiums and doing what I normally do on the Buffalo Bills radio network. Um, I think that's more likely than it is college football, considering all the things presidents have to think about with students on campus and stuff like that. Can you envision a scenario in which games are played with no fans or games are, or we don't start a season until after the new year? College. College. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. First of all, I agree with you 100%. NFL is way more likely than yes. college. Yes. I mean, college to me is the hardest sport of them all. I've been saying all along, like, golf is the easiest, right? Yep. Get 100 guys. They have to, so they have to be with their caddy. Other than that, I mean, I played golf yesterday. It's not hard. It's social <laughs> distance. You know, you don't have fans on yep. the course. You could have run, run the Masters the first weekend of April. I get why they didn't because no one knew what the heck was going on. But you can do this. The hardest sport, college football. 130 teams. Yep. Uh, in in 43 states and different mentalities, you have state schools, elite private schools, military academies, religious institutions. I mean, you got it all <laughs> in cities, in country, you know. Uh, so I just think it's going to be super hard for all 130 to say we're doing it. I mean, how, is this even a priority at Rutgers right now? Right. Yeah, I, I can't imagine, Dan, any president of any university, like they, they're, look, as much as football is their lifeblood, in, in, in the NFL, it's, it's, your, it's your business. That's what it is. In college, right. they do have a student body and other departments to think about. Yeah, it, yeah, it's an extracurricular activity, right? Right. It's not the activity. The NFL, it's the activity. This is why we're here. It's right. No, I agree. But, you know, if you're, you're the head president of Kansas State, and I have no idea what, uh, you know, I don't know the stats, and if you know anything, if you, if you hear anything about COVID nineteen from me, disregard it. It's completely uninformed. But I'm guessing it's not crushing Manhattan, Kansas, the way it's crushing Manhattan, New York. Right? I've heard nothing. So sometime you might be like, "Look, man, we're gonna play. Like our school is gonna be fine. We don't have this problem yet. Why wouldn't we go forward with all of our activities?" So that's your problem: is how many of these schools can even do it, and and then. Can you let fans in? Do you want to take that on? I mean, and then uh, here's the other one. Do you want to go? Right. Like, how many fans would you okay, – go into a – I love the Bills. Bills, is, that's my favorite football stadium in the NFL. Nice. And it is a great scene. It is And you go, yeah, I love going to Bills games. I'll crowd in there, 70,000 or whatever the – what's the number there, 70,000? A little less now, I think, yeah. Yeah. You know, okay, great. I'll normally do that. Well, maybe you do when the Patriots come, but are you going to do it? You know, like, are you going to do the preseason? Like, yeah, I'll just stay home. I don't need that <laughs> extra. Like, how many people are going to go? And then, you know, the idea of throwing 100,000 people onto a, into a, invite them into your college town from all over, I think the fans is a problem. Now, with the NFL, the TV revenue is a greater portion of the revenue. And you're trying to just make do, and you have billionaire owners, and this is what we do. And it's fair to the players who, who are going to sign off on this and say, look, I'm making a lot of money. I mean, lots of people have to work right now, um, and lots of people want to work right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm not going to feel that bad for, for an NFL player that, that agrees to go do this. But a college guy who's getting tuition room and board, and you might have to play in front of an empty stadium or, you know, this isn't really what I signed up for. 
I just think this whole thing's going to be very difficult for college football. I just, I, I don't think you're getting all 130, and then the schedule starts breaking down. Um, you know, even in within certain leagues, you're going to have a division. Like, right. you take you take the ACC. You know, it, it may not be a big deal at Clemson and Florida State, but it is at Boston College and Syracuse. Um, it's not a big deal in Nebraska right now, and it may, you know this all can flip in three months too. Yep. Could be a, it could be terrible in Nebraska, not bad in New Jersey. But how do you do this? So I just think college football's got got struggles. But uh, I think about seventy five percent of revenue on college campus uh, college football is ticket sales, is a roughly, and then parking and donations, and then the jerseys. You know they need those events with fans, and if you don't have the fans, then it's a a massive losing proposition. I, I just I don't know. I mean I I don't want to consider a fall without both college and pro football. But I wonder if we're going to get to that spot by the end of June. And hopefully we have a whole, I mean, hopefully we are improved dramatically because it's almost two months, still two months away when you kind of maybe have to make a decision and you look back two months, it's like early March. Like we've come a long way in those two months. So maybe we come a long way in those the next two, but you know, maybe you just sit there and say, we can't do college football next year. We'll do the next, we'll, we'll, we'll come back in 2021. Amazing. I, n- no one knows what's going to happen. I, I do think, though, the NFL is releasing its schedule this week. Now, they have, and I, I, I interviewed Mike North a couple weeks ago for this podcast, who is on the schedule-making team, basically. He's one of the guys that heads it. And he said, look, I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do, which is release the schedule. But they will have, I guess, in the back room somewhere, right, some contingency plans. And I have to imagine they'd at least have to be thinking about all the different ways they have to maneuver things around. Yeah, maybe it's a 12-game season. Right. You know, maybe it's like, I, I've kind of... You know, I get some of this, like Major League Baseball needs the local TV games to make their revenue. And, I, you know, I've heard this where the NBA should try to get their whole season in or the NHL. And, you know, I'm kind of like, you know what, what if you just get creative and do something? You know, what yeah. if the NBA sits there and says, hey, we can do in one month, we could get everybody in here and run a, or we're, we're going to drop to only eight playoff teams or we're going to run a bunch of best of three series. Like it's not the normal way we do a championship, but we're giving you something and we're getting something. And I think, you know, we all want a return to normalcy, but I, you know, that is hard. But if you do something fun, you know, what if the NBA was like, a? am not saying they're going to do this because they'd lose. It's not enough TV number, but imagine they just said, we're going to do a, uh, you know, an NCAA basketball style tournament. It will be done in three weeks. We can we can we can quarantine the teams in the MGM Grand for for three weeks, and this is it. It's going to be August Madness, and you go, you know what? That's not really an an NBA championship, but this isn't right. <laughs> this isn't normal, right? So yeah, we want sixteen games. We want a full playoff. We want everything. But if if you can buy time and say we're going to start October first, or we're only going to have you know eight you know ten game season or something like that. Um, you know, so be it. I'll take that over just, well, we, we, we have to stick to it. So I'm sure everyone's looking for contingency plans and everyone's kind of holding on right now to, well, this will be normal. Um, it's all right if it's not normal. You know, I, I wrote a column last week, like, could the SEC just have it, have its season? Let's say, let's say it's not as bad in the South and they can somehow pull this off. Well, if they have an eight-game season and have an SEC champion in December and they just, that's it? That's not college football, but it's better than nothing. No, that's right. And um, 
By the way, as I'm talking to you, I just uh, got an alert here. You may have seen as well. Uh, Don Shula has passed away as we're recording this. Don oh. Shula has passed away. That's a very sad news in the sports world. That is. What a great coach. What a great guy. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we obviously we just had Daryl Talley on uh, WGR this morning uh, from those 90s Bills teams. And we were actually talking about the rivalries and we we're referencing to the last dance and the Bulls and the Pistons. And I went back to the Bills and the Dolphins and. You know, that's when it was testy. Bills fans really hated Don Shula back in the day. He was on the rules committee. They couldn't beat him. Uh, he, he was terrific at, at what he did, but he was a thorn in the side of Bills fans for sure. Uh, yeah, well, he, he left a lot of uh, – he ruined a lot of Sundays around the, around the yes. NFL through the years. Um, but uh, such a uh, – I don't know, just a, just a giant giant figure in football, right? And yeah. just uh, – um, I don't know the way he carried himself. I just always remember seeing, you know, he's a little different than Landry, but the, you know, growing up just seeing Landry with those kind of like, just, uh, I don't want to say stoic cause he was a little more emotional than that, but just those like impressive yep. figures on the sideline. Right. Um, and obviously phenomenal coach and coach of the only undefeated team. Belichick couldn't pull that off. No, that's right. That's that. right. <laughs> Not easy to have one on Belichick, but he got that one bit. Although, I had to play 14 games. So. Hey, Dan, I want to um, ask you about the Aaron Hernandez documentary. And uh, you're an executive producer of the Netflix uh, documentary Killer Inside uh, on Aaron Hernandez. So what what motivated you to want to be a part of this and do this? Well, I covered, you know, I covered Aaron a little as a player. But then as a, um, you know, when he became an accused murderer, suspect in the case, uh, I just covered that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from the start. And uh, my partner on this, Kevin Armstrong, was a writer at the New York Daily News at the time, writer and reporter. And we covered uh, together just the, just from the start, the story, the the background, the, 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 the two murder trials, um, all the way through to a suicide. But in the middle of it, uh, really during the first murder trial of Odin Lloyd, uh, or the, the trial of the murder of Odin Lloyd, uh, we thought, you know, this is just, the story is just so amazing. It's so big. And uh, we wanted to do something else, whether it was a book or, or, or really try to get a visual medium. You could write the columns we wrote. I remember they were very popular. People were reading, but there's just nothing quite like seeing it. And I thought, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a documentary, right? To see the trial footage, to see the security footage, to see all that stuff, um, told the story in a better way to watch Alexander Bradley testify and, and see the intensity of that for the people who have seen this movie. Uh, so we started, we hooked up with a company called Blackfin out of New York city and, and started producing filming um, what became this documentary. At one point it was just a two hour film then it became a three part Netflix deal. And uh, obviously there were still twists and turns to go, including yeah. his, his, his suicide. So, it's the most fascinating story I've covered in a, in a long time, if not ever. Um, and I think obviously the number of people who watched it would, would agree. It's just a, just an amazing fall for grace and double life. And uh, every time you f- thought you figured the guy out, you, you, you couldn't, nobody, no, nobody knew Aaron Hernandez. Every single person in his life only knew part of him. There was a secret, t- secret life on every single guy right up to the end when he, commit suicide and stuns everyone. 
you know, I mean, as as someone, I, I, I coached high school football in Florida for a little while and, you know, never had anybody to the athlete in the level of Aaron Hernandez, but had seen people like that. And one of the things that always came up was, you know, they were enabled a lot, right? And that's one thing I took away from it was, even though he also had, I think, maybe an identity crisis and a lot of secrets, but he never had anybody tell him no. And I know it's hard. You go to these big universities and you're so, you're big man on campus, high school and college. Did you get the sense that that also played the role into it? Just the enablers that just never told him no? I think it was a big part of it. I think it was a perfect cocktail of, of problems with him. Again, people say, well, let's blame CTE. Well, right. I don't know, but that probably didn't help. Or let's blame the death of his father. I don't know. His father was the one that would tell him no. He was mm. the one the one man he feared and the one disciplinarian. And when he passed away when Aaron was 16, that was a big hole in that. Um, and then it was just straight enabling. There was nobody could control Aaron Hernandez because on – game day he delivered and that's all he was to a lot of those guys and so you look and sit back now at florida he had disciplinary problems didn't matter he got back on the field he was injured he got back on the field uh the patriots you know it's pro football yeah. you're if, you know how how's aaron doing i mean i talked to a million the patriots we're not going to you know, we're not getting Tom Brady and stuff on on the internet. Sit down and talk about it. But talking to numerous, so many different Patriots players and former teammates, and all like, you know, we thought he was a little wild, seemed a little. But you know what? He practice practice starts at at you know eight. He's there at seven. You know, he's in perfect shape. He runs his routes. He wanted to win, and it's like as a pro football, that's really all you're looking for. I'm not going to go out with him because I thought. You know, it might be a bar fight I don't want to be in. I didn't know he's murdering people, right. okay? You know, but it's just sort of that guy. But I go back to when he was at Florida, and, and he's got Urban Meyer as coach. And this is a kid. He, he shows up very young. He's 17. He skips the spring of his senior year of high school, which he shouldn't have done. He, should have, he needed to screw up slower. This is a guy who actually needed, like, to come in in a red shirt for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, they bring him in early. So after his at January of his senior year, he moves to Florida and enrolls as a college student, which I think for any parent would be like, that's like, my kid's got to be super mature to handle that. Right. He's not mature and he's dealing with the death of his, of his dad. And he starts immediately acting out. He needed counseling. He needed, you know, a mental health help. He needed a lot of things. What he didn't need was, great job run that route again <laughs> and it's okay because look how good you are and same thing when he goes to, three years later he goes to the nfl he's 20 years old he declares for the nfl he, i mean so young and then you're thrown in and you know you work the bill like it's grown yep. man league yeah he says this is not we're not here to hold your hand you know, you figure it out, and and we yeah, we want you to be good, and we'll, we have systems in place. But even then, it was less with the mental health and all of that adjustment. But you're you're young, and you got thirty, you got guys with kids and grown ups, and yep. it's just different. And he's so it was a just a terrible mix for him. But I agree, the enabling of this guy's a talent. Let's put him on the field. He's going to win us games, and that is what he always did. But I really go to that Florida part where nobody was looking out for Aaron Hernandez. Nobody was sitting there saying, here's a kid who's struggling. we got to do something. 
you know, not just, hey, let's have a meeting and I'll tell you to knock it off. That's not right. how we solve this problem. This guy was crying out for help in every imaginable way, and no one was really helping him. Highly recommended, by the way. I watched it, uh, Killer Inside, the Netflix docuseries on Aaron Hernandez. Uh, I'll, I'll wrap up with this, a more positive note. Uh, I see you have something going on where people can go and click on your uh, your Twitter feed, at Dan Wetzel, and it is um, for young readers, basically. And it's called Epic Athletes. I'll let you describe this, but this is right up my alley. I have a six-year-old, and he loves sports, and he loves the fact that dad's involved in sports. And, you know, we're always uh, playing games where we're naming teams and players and things like that. So this is right up his alley. And, of course, right now I'm trying myself to limit his screen time, and this is exactly what it says. Tell us about Epic Athletes. So this book's probably, these books are probably a little too much for a six-year-old. Okay. I'm sure he'll get there soon. Um they're basically your classic sports biographies, maybe 120 pages, 110 pages. Uh, I grew up reading these. They kind of got away from publishing them for whatever, but it's really designed for, you know, third through eighth grade, although high schoolers and adults like them too, because they're pretty quick read. Um, but they're just uh, sports bios. We have uh, uh, eight of them are out right now uh, or seven of them are out right now. It's Stephen Curry. LeBron James, Alex Morgan, the soccer player, Lionel Messi, Tom Brady, um, Simone Biles, somebody else in this, and Serena Williams, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes is coming in the summer, uh, Zion Williamson is going to come. I'm actually working on that now. And they're just, you know, real positive stories about leadership and how, how these guys got there. And it is a real focus on what they were like as as middle schoolers, sort of those age groups, because it's pretty interesting stories. You know, you look at them now and you say, Oh my God, Steph Curry, right? He's unbelievable two-time MVP. And you go, well, when he was in sixth grade, it was, you're too small. (laughs) You're not going to be that good. You know, and you're not going to be as good as your dad. Right. Uh, Tom Brady freshman year of football was the backup quarterback on his freshman team. He didn't play a single snap. Didn't play. He wasn't any good. And the team stunk. The other, and the only reason he became the starter as a sophomore on the JV was because the, the guy who beat him out as a freshman quit because he wasn't. He thought, I'm not going to give up on football. I'm not any good. I'm going to concentrate on basketball, right? So how does Tom Brady deal with that? It not, it's not Now you look and go, oh, he got six Super Bowls. You know, he fought. He didn't quit at Michigan. He fought to, to stay and, and try to make it. I know Tom Brady's not the most popular guy. Right. Fans, but right. his story's great. Serena Williams, right? Phenomenal. Yeah, well, when she was 12, your sister's better. Your older sister's the good one. You're the other one, right? Real real um, things that you can understand and, and most kids, you know, can relate to. How do, you, how do you fight through that? How do you become the best person you can be? So they're very positive stories. They're all great athletes, and, um, but they're, they're kind of designed to read. They're not, they're not hard reads. Um, and they're designed for those age groups. They've been super popular. So as much as I do murders and uh, <laughs> murder documentaries, <laughs> right. and controversies, I need scheming to the government and college. That's right. FBI investigations. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I will tell you this. I, I think I speak for many people in Western New York who say we can't wait for the day you're writing about Josh Allen with one of these books and fun. how he was not recruited to be a Division One athlete for a few years. It's, it, but that's that's the story. You know these guys yeah. well on a personal basis, and you, we see the heroes, right? Yeah. That, that that yeah, come out of the tunnel and the, the shoulder pad. 
they all have a backdrop and 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 they you know even like LeBron James right LeBron James first time he ever played any kind of organized football is a great story uh found this guy this guy coached um, Pop Warner, whatever it was called, football in Akron, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And he, in the neighborhood, he shows up at this park, basically, this housing project. He's looking for kids to play because this is not a neighborhood where mom and dad come down and sign, just sign you up. So he didn't have enough players. So he goes to this park, and LeBron and his friends are there. And he says, you know, how old are you guys? And they tell him, he goes, well, I got this football league, and I'm trying to get some players. And he says, line up and run. And they all run. And LeBron's the biggest and the fastest. And he says, son, you're on the team. <laughs> <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> and they go, I go, how, how good do you think he was? He goes, I know, I know football. He goes, I, right that moment, I said, that kid's going to play in the Big Ten playing football. <laughs> like, like, that's how good LeBron James was. Right? <laughs> that's great. Hey, Dan. Like, how old are you again? He's like nine. You know, and so, but even then, LeBron's story, like, I mean, he's moving around. He had to live in different families. His mom had tons of struggles. He was no dad. And then his loyalty to his local high school and all. I mean, there's just these great stories of like, uh, it's, it's a very, so even the ones that are like, yeah, well, LeBron was going to be great no matter what. True. But he overwent so many struggles. So I, it's, they're very positive and, and it's been, uh, it's been rewarding to write. Well, Dan, thanks. I've, I've been an admirer of your work for a while, and um, I really enjoyed the uh, the scheme and the Aaron Hernandez doc. There's a lot more out there that people can enjoy as well. You can follow Dan on Twitter, by the way, at Dan Wetzel. But uh, thanks for doing this today. I hope that you and your family stay safe, and maybe uh, we can catch up sometime when there's actually a football season to talk about that. Love to do it. Love to do it. Thanks, Sal. Appreciate you having me on. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.